Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing okay. Wasn't that awesome this morning? Our worship. Thank you to our team and all those that are serving today. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you. And uh, please visit our, our information desk and have a coffee with us. We'd love to see you and get you connected. Well, we continue our starting our theme, um, Connect. And I'm going to speak to you this week and next week. Don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be two parts of this message. I think this is going to be a really interesting, important foundation for our lives so we can be fruitful for God. I'm continuing with the parable of the, of the soil. And uh, if you was here a couple of weeks ago, I talked about discipleship and the importance of the condition of our heart to actually be fruitful in our lives. Let me read to you from Mark 4. Hopefully you've read uh, this over the last two weeks. It's also in Luke and in Matthew. And it's good to read the comparison gospels to get some more insight to the things. Let me read to you from verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, 60, 100 times that was sown. You know, when you study this passage in the context and begin to think about what Jesus is saying, it's really important to understand the context. When you read this parable, here's the interesting thing, that the soil was the same. It was the condition that was different. So when Jesus talks about the soil, he's talking about the condition of human hearts. And the condition of our hearts will affect our fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. You know, it's awesome to stand on the promises of God, to sing the word of God. But unless the condition of our heart is in line with the word of God and we put it into practice, we will actually see no fruit in our lives. So you can come to church every Sunday, you can sing the songs, you can pray the prayers. But if you don't walk in obedience to God's word on your life, you will, you will not see any fruit. You will not see any um, blessing really in your life because it comes from connection with God's word in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, remain in me and I will also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. This is why it's important that we rely on God to help us in our fruitfulness. It's not just about your intelligence or your great business plan or the people that you know, even though they're all good things. In the kingdom, without Jesus, we're not going to produce the kind of fruit that is required from when we stand before God. So it's important to know that our fruitfulness 
comes also from what God's given us, our abilities, our gifts, but also our reliance on God himself. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It can't get much clearer than that, can it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we do a lot of things in our own strength. But I tell you, if we're going to have a longevity of fruitfulness, it's learning how to partner with Jesus. Okay? If you have a business today, he is your greatest business partner. And you need to listen to his leading in your life. It's not how clever you are. It's about making sure that Jesus is on board in every part of our life. In my home, in my ministry, in wherever God places me, God is my instructor, leader, and my guide. Without me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away in withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire to be burned. What he's saying is that if you don't remain in Christ as your source, then it's going to be worthless. There'll be no fruitfulness in your life. If you remain in me, verse 7, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the key principle that Jesus is teaching to the crowd and to his disciples is that the, the, the secret of a fruitful life is a follower of Jesus that is willing to walk in obedience to God's word. Come on, say amen. And, and any chance I can just have a bit more light in the, oh, up there, please, Sam, so I can just see a few people's faces. I need to see you saying amen to me. <laughs> so connecting to God by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, according to the word of God from the source of the foundation of the Bible and through preaching of the word and through other people bringing the word to us, it's important to know the background of Jesus' message on the parable of the soil. So he speaks to a congregation and he's saying to us, and this is what's helpful to us today, he's saying that when you preach the gospel, when you preach the message of the kingdom, when you share your testimony, it's going to land on four kinds of hearts. And sometimes in church life, you can get disappointment with the results of in season, out of season, sharing your life, sharing the word of God, and you're wondering why, um, you're wondering why people's lives don't change like other people's lives. It's not because they're more intelligent. It's because somehow they've learned the secret of applying God's Word into their hearts and living it out. It doesn't happen by coincidence or by luck that you manifest fruitfulness. You know, you can fake it for a while by being around people that are fruitful, but you yourself can only be fruitful when you apply this to your life. And so he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus was speaking to an audience when he said, when I preach the gospel, it's going to land on four kinds of soil. So you need to know that as a church, that when you share your story, when you preach the gospel to people, don't get disappointed when there's not always results. Because there's only, there's only one seed that will fall on good soil that will produce results. The, the three other soils will not produce and you've experienced, you've been churched long enough, the kind of responses to the preaching of the word or to your testimony into your family and into your world. So Jesus saying, woe to you, 
um, to, the, to the people that was listening. For, for the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago. What he's saying is that the people that Jesus was speaking to in those days, most of them rejected his message. So he's sharing this parable to say, listen, I am sharing my life, the kingdom, and, and all I've experienced, the majority of reception is that they've no longer, they've rejected my words. It's, it's landed on a soil which is hard, like the one on the path. And he said, others has been on people that they've received the word, but because of trouble and persecution, it's quickly fallen away. And once they've accepted it, and now they're no longer following me. And then the third thing is, there's also like, like the, on rocky places where, where trouble, hardship, and also the weeds, the thorns, when, when worldliness or materialism or pursuit, a desire for things of the world gets into a person's heart. They soon fall away. Now Jesus is speaking to a congregation that doesn't know him. And we need to know that. And so when you look at the, the, the resistance of the Jews in those days when Jesus come, they were asking all sorts of questions. So do, do not work for food that spoils, Jesus said in John 6, but for food that endures to eternal life. He's talking about word, the word of God, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus' answer, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Now, now look at the response to Jesus' ministry on earth, John 10. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. You know, when you share your story with non-believers or people that doesn't know Christ, don't always think they're going to do backflips and celebrate what you bring them. If Jesus got opponents, if we're really going to preach the gospel, if we're really going to share our faith, then it's going to land on some rocky places. It's going to land on some persecution. It's going to land, listen to me, onto people that will reject you. But the good news is, some of your seed will land on good soil. And let me tell you, in this room today, when somebody preached to you, it's proof that it landed on good soil because you're here today. And so, and when you look at the church worldwide, that it's growing, there is seed that's going on good soil. That means people that will hear the word of the gospel and receive it and believe in Jesus as a son of God. Again, but the Jewish opponents picked some stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Here's the reason why Jesus got crucified. Because his seed, when he came flesh, was rejected by his own people. And they crucified him, but in God's plan, he was crucified for the sins of the world. Let me tell you something. One time in our life before we knew Jesus, we rejected him. And so what I want to try and present to you today is that when we are sharing our faith as a church, as a corporate body, when we're speaking to the crowds and your family members that don't know Jesus, there's always the kinds of soil that you have to understand in people's lives. 
And thank God for the time that you just share once and people receive it with joy and they get born again and they go on with God. That's amazing. But it always doesn't happen that way. So we have to have resilience. We have to understand what Jesus said because he got rejected so much unto death. So he speaks about the four kinds of soil and that's what I want to bring to you today. Because my question to you today is this, what's really important. Jesus is speaking to a congregation that didn't know him. But can I ask you a question? I wonder, is this parable, can it be meant for those that saved? What I mean by that is, if you've been in church long enough, do you also know people that's no longer in church because of the response to something in their life? Is it possible that as followers that we can have a heart like the path and become hard? And now resist the church and Jesus himself. Is it possible that through trials and troubles and persecution that some people that you may know no longer want to be in church because they didn't think things could happen to them that way and now they have left the faith. And finally, those who have pursued God with the, the desire for being rich and the desire for other things have creeped into their heart and now longer walking with God. Is it possible, after being born again, having good soil to start with, as we take this journey on in faith, that somehow through the enemy and through life, that our hearts, our soil can get contaminated? Is it true? Everybody of you should say amen, because every one of you knows somebody that should be in church today and they're not. Why? It's a condition of their heart. Something has happened to get into that heart and allow something to take away the love they first had for Jesus. And I want to teach you how to manage them things because every one of you, and I've experienced it in over 30 years, I've, I've identified that yes, the people of God can have a, a good soil, a good heart, a good response, but then one thing comes to us, we can allow our hearts to get contaminated. That's what the Bible says. Guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. You see, if you don't protect your heart, then you are actually not protecting your fruitfulness. That's why you have to guard your heart. You have to watch what you allow into your heart because that is where fruitfulness can manifest or the enemy can rob your life. And so we have to watch out for that. New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It's so powerful today, and so can I say to you today, you can be in love with Jesus one minute, and the next minute, your heart can get calloused. Your heart can get hard. And I want to just bring some ways to us how we can identify just some things that can make our hearts hard, and how we can counteract that when it comes. So what have I identified that can allow your heart to become hard and then begin to fall away? In other words, not, so when Jesus said you're, you're like a seed that's gone on path, in other words, unbelief, not interested in the gospel, being deceived. And, and the Bible says that Satan comes, listen, and he steals the seed because Satan is a thief and a liar, Okay. So what you have to understand is, if he can get lies into your heart, 
If, if, he, if he can get someone to rob you of your purpose, your heart, you've got to protect, you've got to protect the, what the enemy can do. So the first thing I believe that the enemy will use to try and rob you is false teaching. False teaching. New Testament always says, are you so foolish, Galatians 3, after beginning by of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by the means of the flesh. Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? You who were running a good race, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So somebody allowed them into their life to sow lies, false doctrine. And in this world right now, we have to be on our guard against false teachers because they are actually present in our churches, in our world. In fact, 1 Timothy says, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter days, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching, see it's a teaching, it comes from a human. And the devil uses humans to bring lies and false doctrine to people, to deceive them, to, to keep them away from the truth, which brings life to us. Such teaching come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared with a hot iron. So what he's saying is somebody's got into their heart and in their thinking that now they're beginning to change the gospel. They're beginning to change the story. They're beginning to say Christ is not enough and you've got to begin to go by old works again. And Paul says, how foolish can you start in the spirit that you receive Christ by faith, by grace, and now somebody's trying to teach you that you gain salvation by works. See, that's a false doctrine. If you think you can earn your salvation by good works, that's false doctrine, and it will rob you of your fruitfulness. Because we're saved by grace, by faith, from what Christ has done on the cross. And if you can get deceived, but it's all by works, and this is what you've got to do to earn your salvation, you'll become a slave, and you'll become unfruitful. And your heart will become hard, because then you're governed by rules and judgment. And then you begin to measure your walk with God by other standards, and you get robbed of the blessing. 2 Peter 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Church, you haven't got to be gullible. You have to be like the Bereans in Acts 18, I think it is, where when somebody preaches the word or shares, well, God's told me this, is it in the Bible? Is it, is it the gospel that Paul brought, the gospel of grace through faith? Or is it some kind of other gospel? Because that other gospel will ruin you. Who are you listening to to be your teacher? Are they rooted in the Word of God? And like I said two weeks ago, does their life and their doctrine match up? Are they compatible? Are they living proof that the Word they teach is manifesting through their own lives? Paul says, you sin my life and you sin my doctrine. I am not a hypocrite. And so I want to tell you, you've got to be on your guard because the Bible says in the last days, people just want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Come on, say amen with me. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Wow. 
if you think, if you want to you come to this church, we ain't going to pamper you with some watered down gospel. We're not going to do that because your life is too important. And so we can stand here all day and tell you that nothing, no arm's going to come among you and you can just live out your life as a Christian. You will be not fruitful. And so we want to be, as a church, we are committed to preaching the Word of God. Actually, not, not in a sense of harshness, but a sense out of love to do you good. So we will not compromise the Word. No way, 100%, no matter what comes from the government or what comes from the world, we are standing on the Word of God and we will not be moved by it. So we are not going to compromise, but we are going to keep love, number one, in our hearts, and we are going to show grace to everyone, but we, we're going to say we're not going to be moved by the Word. We're going to stand on it, and we love you, but this is where we stand, and we're going to live by that, because if we do, we'll be fruitful. Listen, we might not be favourable, but we're fruitful. See, the thing for me is that I'd rather be applauded by Jesus than the crowd. And so we're not going to preach what your itching ears want to hear. And there'll be times where you're thinking, oh, that was a bit harsh. No, because the Word of God is a hammer sometimes. And sometimes our hearts are so hard. Needs that the Word of God is a hammer to break the soil up so God can get in. So the first thing is false teaching. And so you have to guard against those that are called teachers and making sure that what they say is rooted in the Word of God and the grace of God and Jesus gets glorified in it. Okay? Let me tell you something. Any good preacher, if you listen to it, you'll get closer to God and be more like Jesus. There's the fruit in your life. It's not so much if you get more money in the bank. Fruitfulness also equals godliness. Not just the exterior blessings in our lives. We have to become more like Jesus in here. Amen? So this, the first thing is false teaching. Here's the second one. Are you ready for it? It's called offence. I, I believe that more people have left church and a faith over offence than false teaching. Everybody's gone quiet. Matthew 13, and they took offence at him. Who? Jesus. For what? For preaching the word. Do you know something I can guarantee you, if you stay around here long enough, you're going to get offended at some of the things I preach about. Now, it won't be intentional to have a go at you. You'll be preaching the Bible. And sometimes your life is in contradiction with the word of God. And when the word of God is presented to you, you'll get offended because it'll mean that you have to die to your own life and live God's way. And when you get all upset because the Word of God is preached, that's your problem because you've got a not response in offence. You have to respond in submission. Oh, I'm offended. Really? What? At, what? At Jesus? Because the crowd was offended when he preached the Gospel. And Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town. And in his own home. And he said he couldn't do many miracles because of lack of faith. Here's the thing. Sometimes our problem is not the devil. Our problem is our hard heart and our offence. And God can't get through you because you're offended. You're offended at his word and you're offended at other people. 
And you have to guard against those kind of things. Hebrews 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. See, the problem is that some of us can come and sing the songs, but in our hearts, there is bitterness against some other believer. And, and there's no way God can get through to that kind of heart. And it's your offence that's going to rob you of the blessing of God. And I want to tell you, if you're going to be a Christian long enough, I, I prophesy now, you are going to get offended. Come on, say amen. Uh, in fact, you're going to get offended by the time I finish this word. Why? I want to offend you godly because I want to see your reaction. Because if you can't overcome offence, your faith will be shipwrecked. So I'm trying to equip you ready for what's coming down the road. If I were to ask what causes church split, it's called offence. Offence. But we have to navigate offence because we are going to get offended. People are going to fall out. 1 Corinthians 1, my brothers and sisters, some of Cleo's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So it's nothing new to the New Testament. The power of God is flowing, signs and wonders and miracles. And in the midst of that, there's carnality with falling out with each other. And offence and quarrels. And Paul says that should not be, but unfortunately... We're human and we have Jesus in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God, but we still fall out. But we have to manage offence. And let me tell you the keys that we must be able to manage offence. This is really important. We've got to be accountable to our actions. Before I go on to the second point of managing offence, you have to be accountable to sometimes our, our attitudes, which are wrong. We, we, grace doesn't mean we just keep covering up your unchristlike attitude. Grace is actually speaking the truth in love because your attitude is going to rob you from the blessing of God. And so, the Bible says in Galatians, when Caiaphas came to Antioch, that's the Apostle Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. See, see, Peter was hypocritical. And Paul said, well, I can't cope with that kind of attitude because it's going to rob you of your future. So Paul went to him face to face and said, Peter, how you're living right now, your attitude is wrong. And, and let me tell you something. What I know about Peter's reaction was mature because he listened to Paul. If he wouldn't have listened to Paul and got offended, he would never have preached on the day of Pentecost. His ministry would have been over because he couldn't be teachable about his attitude. See, it all depends what kind of condition your heart is. Can you actually be taught? Can somebody come to you and say, hey, do you know how you're operating right now is ungodly and it's affecting people? If you get offended at that, the only thing that you will do is leave church. But the problem is you're going to go and take your offence somewhere else. And then somebody else will talk to you about the same problem. And the problem is not with the church, it's to, it's to do with your heart. Because you're offended. 
And so you have to not pacify unchrist likeness. You have to confront it in love. Matthew 18 says, if a person sins against you, go to them face to face. But the problem is in church life, we go and put it on Facebook and gossip about the person. See, maturity says, you've offended me, so I'm going to go and talk to you about it. In love, not, not to tell you how you hurt me, but to tell you how I can help you, because I'm more mature than you, that you're affecting your life in the walk with God. And you need to deal with it biblically. Go to the person, if that doesn't work, take somebody with you that will manage the situation, not back you up and put the person in the corner. It's all done in maturity. And then if that doesn't work, take it to the church. Because the result of managing offence is actually redemption. It's restoration. It's so we can grow in God. And the second response that we have to do when we get offended, this is really important, and some of you might not like this, it's called forgiveness. I know the person that offended you is out of order. I know they don't deserve to be forgiven. But if you don't forgive them, you are contaminating your soil of your heart and you will no longer be able to produce any fruitfulness. Anybody's in, in the building of or you all gone home? Because some of you are sitting here and some of you are online and you're sitting down with unforgiveness in your heart because somebody's offended you. And if you allow that to contaminate your heart, you'll not produce, and Satan will steal the seed. And so forgiveness is Christ-likeness. Forgiveness releases you to produce fruit in your life. It isn't actually to say, oh, we pacify what he done to us or she done to us. No, that's not the issue. It's getting you free. It's getting your heart free so God can do something in you. But you're trapped by holding unforgiveness in your heart and the root of bitterness grows in your spirit and you're immobilized from being fruitful in God and you become bitter and you get more upset and the more you talk to people, you can see how, how contaminated you've got by what comes out of your mouth. And it's all because somebody's hurt you. And you're dealing with it the wrong way. And you can't carry that because, you know, I know people leave churches and that's not a problem. But it's how you leave church. If you leave with a hurt, you're going to bring the hurt with you. And if you, if you leave with unforgiveness in your heart, you're going to bring that with you. And let me tell you something, if somebody else hurts you, then you, it's a double whammy of hurt and your heart becomes so hard that it's very difficult for God to get in there. And so the key for your heart to, to be open for God is forgiveness. Because you have to do it not on the basis of what they've done to you, but what you did to Christ. See, see, so you can be justifiable about what they've done to you, but if God was justifiable what you did to him, you'd be going to hell. But he forgave you and he died on the cross for you. And he said, forgive because I've forgiven you. And if you don't forgive, then your Father won't forgive you from your heart. And the reason why I'm, I'm fiercely preaching is because some, I want some of you to get free today. And forgiveness is a journey because the hurt can be so bad that it's so hard to, to forgive. But the decision to forgiveness is a choice. And it's not based on feelings. It's not based on waiting for them to say they're sorry. It's based on your response to God and keeping your heart fresh and guarded. So you have to make a decision today, no matter what they've done to me, 
I am no longer going to hold account on them. I'm giving them to God. I'm releasing them today. I'm going to be free from the effect of what they've done to me. Because let me tell you something, that one act in your life, you're still living with it. And the only way you can get free is forgiveness. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, that's the foundation of forgiveness. When somebody hurts me in church, when they send emails or they leave the church and they tell us all the things that's not right with the church, I have a choice to get offended or to forgive. And my forgiveness is not based on them, but on Jesus. And I come to God and I say, God, I know what they've done to me, but I can't forget what I've done to you. And you forgave me. And if you forgave me, I've got to pass that on to somebody else. I don't feel like it. I want to lynch them. I want to send the mafia around. But do you know what, God? I'm going to be more like you because you died for me on the cross. And the more you do that, listen to me, the more you keep coming to God and reminding how he forgive you, feelings follow. Do you know what's amazing? What else follows? Love. You end up loving the person that hurt you. How? By praying for them. Pray for your enemies. But that's not the first step. That comes later. That comes after you make a decision before God. See, that's why you've got to keep connected to Him. If my word remains in you, forgive as I've forgiven you. You know, I, I remember preaching this one time in my old church and maybe in Northampton. Jesus said, when you go out and you preach the gospel, you'll go to some homes. When they, when they, when they invite you in, they bless you. Let your peace remain on that. But if they reject you, what you need to do, he said, you need to shake the sand off your feet and move on. The problem is when you move to another church and you've still got the sand on your feet of offence, it will ruin you. That's why this morning, online, in this room, if you're here with offence, you've got to shake off the dust off your feet and leave today with it at the cross. Because you will see a difference in your heart and God will begin to move afresh into your heart. Begin to bring living water in your spirit. Don't fall into the trap of easy getting offended. I've got five minutes. But I think the Holy Spirit wanted to speak about something. Because we get offended too easily. And we've got to make sure, let me say this, you can do what you want to me, but I am not going to let you into here. I'm protecting this heart because when God speaks, I'm going to respond. Okay. Oh, brilliant. That's a word from the Lordly. So I've got, I've got longer because we can't do the last song. Is that right? Okay, I've only got one more point because next week's going to be even better. So, how to respond to offence? You have to be accountable to your actions and lovingly help the person in their journey and maturity. Come on. Because we've all got blind spots. And secondly, you've got to operate in forgiveness. But it doesn't happen overnight. There is a journey, and that journey starts at the cross. And then from there, God does something in your heart where you can begin to pray for them. And after that, you can do good to them. Why? Because it's the work of the Spirit. It's what Christ did for you. Yet, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. So actions came before the response. Amen? So our, always our focus on Christ-likeness. Okay, secondly, is that all right? Everybody, no, no one offended? Is, 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 is the thing that comes next, and I've seen it. Rocky place, trouble and persecution. Trouble and persecution. And the first thing is that I want to say to you is that if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been told that no trouble will ever hurt you, and as long as you just speak about the word of your life, then you'll never have any problems in your life, you're going to be really disappointed. You'll be disappointed in God and that will cause you to fall away from him because you've been actually presented an untruth. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Okay? The Apostle Paul is a proof of persecution. And I don't know where we get the teaching from that when you become a Christian, you'll have no more problems. I don't understand however you got that into your, into, into your, into your thinking. Because the New Testament actually doesn't teach that. It said, if you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. That's what the scripture teaches. Okay, now listen, blessing of God and the hardships are hand in hand with our walk with God. Do you, do you understand that? We can be blessed, but going through hell. Okay, we, we can be walking with God like never before, but have something hit our life, a crisis that we've never experienced before. It's, it, it's life. It's called reality. And what we need to understand is that Peter said to the church, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, that's the problem. That if you think as a Christian, now I've given my life to Christ, I'll be in no more trouble. All my debts will be taken care of. No more pain. Everything's going to work out fine. And then a trial comes and persecution comes. You'll be going, just like this church, just like Peter said, why is something strange happening to me now I'm a Christian? Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything you've got. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is not a pampering faith. This is a courageous faith. This is life on the line for God. You didn't sign up to have a happy life. You signed up to give your life to Jesus to make him Lord of your life. That's three people that said, oh yes. Two Thessalonians says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Wow. They're hand in hand with our walk with God. It's not that you're, something's wrong with you when hardship comes. Now, sometimes we make choices that brings the hardship. We make ungodly choices, unbiblical choices that brings the problems. But when you're, Jesus said, if you're going to get persecuted, Peter said, make sure you do it for living a godly life. But you know, even when you are walking on, you know, obedience to God, it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to hit any storms. 
It doesn't guarantee that things are going to come that you, that you think, why on earth is this happening to me? I'm so committed to Jesus. Why is this being allowed to me? So the first thing is, is this that you have to understand is you have to expect storms. But you've got to get prepared for them. And so how have I, how have I done that? Listen to me. The second thing that you have to really understand and grasp with this, you're going to have to live with mystery. You're not going to get all the answers to what happened in your life on this side of eternity and maybe not on the next. You're not always going to know why, why things happened to you. You're not always going to get an answer why things turned out the way they did. And we're going to have to live in that tension of I don't understand God, but I'm not going to give up. You're going to have to live with, I don't know why God's allowed that to that person who I know is living a worse life than me. And you're going to have to live with a mystery. And I lived with that mystery as a pastor for years. Why did that person not live? Why did that person come out of it? I don't understand God. Why is this allowing in my life? Why do they have to go through that? I just don't know. After praying and fasting and believing and confessing the word, it still didn't happen. What do you do? And a lot of people can't cope with that and they abandon the faith. So what do we have to do? First of all, we've got to understand they happen. And number two, we've got to live in the mystery. See, look, and how, what helps me to understand is Job. Let me tell you the story of Job, and I've got five minutes, so I'm going to finish. Job 1, in the land of us. I don't know where that is, but it's us. The land of us, I love that. It's your land right now, it's us. There lived a man whose name was Job. Listen, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. I don't understand it, because people will tell you, if you live like that, surely, goodness and mercy, you follow you all the days of your life, and no trouble will hit you. Listen, in one day, in the next few verses, all his family got killed. All his businesses were stolen off him. Everything he had was destroyed. Because God allowed Satan to test him. God, why did you do that? I don't understand you. It's a mystery. But you have to give God room to understand He knows what He's doing. And we don't because He's God and we're not. And there are some things I don't understand. God, why did you do it? How can a righteous man, a blameless man, a feared God and shunned evil, he had an amazing family and you blessed him with all the livestock and in one day you wiped everything out and you didn't allow Satan to touch him? Why, Lord, did you do that? And this is Job's response because he learned to live in the mystery at this, at what? At losing everything. Job, I want to shake your hand in heaven. Because I don't know whether I could have responded like this. And that's the problem. I don't know if I could, because it's never happened to me like that. So I can't say to you today, I'm preaching like this, but if it happened to me, I don't know if I could do a Job response. But if I can get into my heart that I've got to live in mystery and I've got to lay the foundation that God knows what He's doing, and even though I don't understand, I've got to trust Him anyway. I've got to trust Him anyway. 
At this, Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, come on church, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. Church, this is the hardest thing that we can ever do when things hit our lives or the people that we know. That we, we work through it, we talk through it and we still don't get an answer and we're still walking with that. But there's got to come a time where we've got to make a decision to live in the mystery of the gap and say, look, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I'm going to have a chat with you when I get to heaven. But until now, I'm going to praise the name of the Lord. And finally, what's going to help those that's going through hardship and trials, it's not only living with a mystery, it's not only expecting the hardship, but it's also getting help from the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could not stand there any longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you that our labours may be in vain. When you know someone's going through a hardship, when you know someone's had a disaster or a crisis, praying is good, but coming alongside and saying, let me strengthen you. And some of you have been through hardship. Some of you have been so much pain that you can get alongside someone that's going through it right now. And you can say, I've been there. I know what it feels like, but I have something to give you. 2 Corinthians 1 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I wanna say if you're going through hardship today, if you're going through crisis, you're not alone because somebody has gone before you and they can help you and encourage you and say, keep hold of your faith. We're gonna be with you. We love you. Don't let this sabotage, don't let Satan come in and steal because of the mystery we don't understand and the pain that you carry. So I wanna tell you, no matter what you are going through right now, our God is a faithful God. And He promised to be with you. And He who started this good work, in you will finish it to completion. Let's stand together. Okay, you're ready to do business with God. We preach the Word. Now it's your part. You've got to obey it. Because that's where fruit will manifest. And if you're in this place today and you're online 
and you've been hurt and I'm not, I'm not putting it down in no way because I don't know the measure of what someone's done to you. But all I do know is when I compare what they did to Jesus on the cross and they scourged Him and they crucified Him, I watched The Passion again last week and believe me, I could hardly watch it because of what sin did to Jesus. And I plead with you today, please don't leave church today with offence. Make a decision before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I choose to forgive. I tell you, you will leave today with a freedom in your heart like you've never experienced for ages. And let the Holy Spirit begin to work in your heart. It might take a long time before you're in a place to pray for your enemies or those that hurt you, but you've got to make a start today. Don't allow Satan to rob you any longer. And secondly, for those of you going through hardship and trials, please take courage today. You're not on your own. We haven't got the answers. I'm tired of people getting up and saying we've got the answer. So sometimes we haven't got an answer. All we know that God is good when we're going through bad things. And Lord, I pray that if you're here today that you'll find somebody that's gone through what you're going through and they can impart to you, Lord, the experience of navigating the hardship and the loss and the pain of life. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being patient with us. We thank you, Lord, that your word brings life. Would you do a work today in this place and online? Would you set the captive free? Would you give freedom in our hearts? Would you make sure, Lord, that we, we guard our hearts? For it's the wellspring of life. Lord, that the seed of your word today land on good soil. In Jesus' name, amen.